just a heads up to our listeners, today's episode does mention sexual assault and suicide. In most justice or conduct systems, what happens is it's the institution that says, okay, here's what I think the harm is and here's what we're going to do about it. You cool with that? And then they're like, oh, okay. You get to speak at a sentencing and that's about it. Whereas in this process, you begin with a person who's been harmed and you ask them, what is the harm? I can make a lot of assumptions about what I think the harm is, but what's your harm? And then what do you think might start to repair the harm? And there are so many different things that people want to repair the harm that aren't available under the criminal justice system or conduct system. Welcome to Keep Going, a podcast from Azuma that shares motivational stories from small business owners. I'm Greg. And I'm Ben. And we're your hosts for this episode. Today, we're talking with Kendra, the founder of Restore Resolutions, LLC. Kendra, welcome. Thank you. So Kendra, we'll get more into your business and what that's about in just a minute. But can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what your interests were growing up? I am from a really small rural town on the west side of Michigan. And I remember um, it took us like 45 minutes to get to school or anywhere worth going to. I remember thinking about how so many of my friends at school would just go home after school and play with each other and have these lived life rich connections. And when I would suggest, hey, come over to our house, there's, you know, we live on a lake, it's great. It was like a 45 minute ordeal and not many parents wanted to hack that out. And now becoming a parent, I totally get that. But <laughs> yeah. I started to really value these connections and like, hey, I know your kitchen because I've been in it a million times, or I know your family. And my interest growing up in part was just about connection. Very interesting. So that obviously sounds like it was kind of a part of your development as a child that interpersonal communication and connection with others meant more to you than maybe the average kid. Most of us don't even really pay attention to that stuff until we're adults, I would imagine. But if you're able to clue in on that a little earlier, that could really have some formative factors into your development. Yeah, it did. I'm making it sound much nicer, you know, than what it was, than how I actually came to make these realizations. I'm sure my family members can attest to that. Yeah. I see. So you grew up in this small rural town. As you went through life, were there more experiences, college or other, that led you down this path? Yeah. So I went on to the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor campus, and there were just like these huge light bulb moments, one of which was. I was taking a women's studies class because it was required at the time. It fulfilled a race and ethnicity requirement. I started to learn about people who had wildly different experiences than I did. That really opened the door for me to start thinking about how we can go through life. And there can be some very superficial qualities about us that can define our experiences for good and for bad. One particular class I had was called Women in Prison, and we would, in groups, visit women in the local jails. And we started to develop a resource booklet for them because 
there are much fewer women in jails and prisons than men. And so they get sent to places far afield from their hometowns. And so when they're released, it's really hard to get reconnected. And so we developed this resource booklet for them. And I think that experience really impacted me, talking to the women and hearing their stories about abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, a lot of drug use to self-medicate. And I thought these were whole wonderful people and they had some really harmful experiences in life. From there, it wasn't a straight path, but I ultimately went to law school. When I was an undergrad, I was working for a law firm. And I remember as I was getting to be my senior year, and one of the uh, attorneys in the law firm was like, hey, um, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to become a social worker and I'm going to get my master's in public health so I can work on policy issues, right? Because I could see these broad health concerns impacting these women in particular. And they gave me this look like, oh, you loser. Uh, why would you do that? He's like, no offense, but no one listens to social workers. He's like, I've been on lots of panels and community change things. He's like, no one cares. But when there's a lawyer in the room, they start to care. And I was like, oh, r- really? <laughs> and then I was dating someone at the time who was doing this moot court competition. And it looked more like acting, which I was kind of into. I had no training or experience, but just that was cool. And I decided, yeah, I, with all this great insight, I was going to do law school. And so I did. <laughs> hated it. Just hated it. <laughs> yes, I hated it. But I got through it. And one of the ways I tried to make it my own experience was I wrote a article that ultimately got published in a health law journal about women's experiences in jails and prisons and how it really is exacerbating their punishment because they were subject to prison guards raping them and abuses and, gosh, deprivations that others were not. And so I, I thought it exceeded their punishment. From there, I became an assistant prosecuting attorney and was in the domestic violence division. And so the more light bulbs came on when I was sitting, I was just sitting in court listening to actually like a drug court. The interactions with the judge and the participants were so, it just made me feel like closer to humanity because the judge was like, yeah, you messed that up again. But it's cool because you can keep going. And I just thought this actually is going to heal their lives, not shutting them away. And I started to hate who I was becoming. Jeez, it was a very difficult environment. And I just remember a particular interaction with a new and young attorney who was almost my age. And I just like, you jerk. You were such a jerk to that person. And I was like, I don't, this is not who I want to be. I started to call my references. And one of my references was like, hey, this director of student conduct is opening up at Case Western Reserve, which is my alma mater for law school. Come back because I had been like a student conduct officer when I was in law school there. And so I did. I I became a director of student conduct and a deputy title line coordinator and started to handle some really significant issues with students, sexual assault, domestic violence, stalking, in the context of higher ed. And their approach was more developmental and educational and restorative. I was like, wow, don't we all need this? Don't we all need to be heard? And what I got out of that was hurt people hurt people. And I think the more empathy that I was able to 
give to students because I could hear what was happening in their lives. They were carrying such heavy loads beyond, you know, a really challenging educational experience. And I just thought, oh, we all need this. And as I started to layer in empathy to my approach to student conduct, I started to develop really lovely connections, not only to students, but to others around me. And that felt like a high impact moment. From there, I had become a Title IX coordinator at a small private institution and then realized as I was starting to have my kids, I was like, ugh, this is too much. It's just a lot of emotional energy in coordinating so, so much. And so I transitioned back to becoming an investigator, a Title IX investigator at the University of Michigan, again, my alma mater, and got to see the inner workings of a big public institution. And it's there that I met Karen Williamson and Carrie Landrum, who have been doing this restorative justice work for many years now. And they both kind of took me under their wing. They introduced me to this formal practice and approach to misconduct and conflict, which in essence is a philosophy that is kind of power with versus power over somebody when you think about meeting someone where they are when they've caused harm. And so, where the justice system, which I have been well acquainted with and conduct, was more power over, how can we force you or shame you into making the right decision or pay what you owe, whether from a heart standpoint or emotional standpoint or a physical standpoint, to coming alongside someone and saying, whew, just assuming hurt people hurt people, what's your hurt? And how can we get to the root of that, whether it's, you know, an acute one-time hurt or whether it's a cumulative systemic hurt. And can you, are you willing to see the connection between your hurt and how you may have harmed someone else? And what supports can we bring to these folks to move beyond that? Wow, that's uh, quite a journey and an amazing um, element you're bringing to the justice system. I mean, I imagine the results are just so much better when someone is approached that way as opposed to the traditional heavy hand. It's dramatic. It really is. And it's interesting here in Washtenaw County where I live, there's a prosecutor who has started restorative justice practices in the criminal justice system. And I think it's having dramatic a dramatic impact, not only for the people who have caused harm, but for the people who have received the harm. Because in most justice or conduct systems, what happens is it's the institution that says, okay, here's what I think the harm is and here's what we're going to do about it. You cool with that? And then they're like, okay, you get to speak at a sentencing and that's about it. Whereas in this process, you begin with a person who's been harmed and you ask them, what is the harm? I can make a lot of assumption about what I think the harm is, but what's your harm? And then what do you think might start to repair the harm? And there are so many different things that people want to repair the harm that aren't available under the criminal justice system or conduct system. And a lot of times people want to know why. Why did this person harm me? Like, why me? And so you get to have those conversations in safe and brave spaces, but that is often what they need. And they want a connection to the person. Weirdly, sometimes. I mean, right? You wouldn't think they would, but they do. They want to know why. Wow. This is incredible. So you call this restorative justice? Yes. It's kind of an established practice. A lot of different organizations are utilizing it. And 
the University of Michigan is utilizing it in an adaptable resolution program that they have for students. And now they're beginning one with staff and faculty. I see. So is it something that's spreading across the country or how much is this being adopted in higher education and government justice systems? Well, I'm really new. But what I have learned from my mentors, both Karen and Carrie, is that they are seeing it spread in higher education like wildfire. But it really started with some indigenous tribes and that the community is responsible for the people within it, both when they choose to live outside the values of the community and when they are harmed. And so it really started there and then moved to the criminal justice system first. Interestingly, there were some early adapters there and then really was adapted for higher ed. And my hope is that it gets through K through 12s and also other areas, other institutions in the employment setting and otherwise. Uh, I use it in my own family, frankly. is more a philosophical approach when you think about it than just a practice alone. I imagine it does a lot to humanize both parties. I'm not extremely familiar with the court system, but it seems like you have the victim and then you have the person that committed the crime and they're labeled. There's these assumptions made about them just by the way that they're treated. But in reality, when you can sit down and talk with each of them and humanize both of them and bring them together on a different level, I could see how that would be really powerful. That's such an insightful observation. That's exactly right. And I think there's an opportunity for connection. There's an opportunity for to see how we are all connected to each other. And that starts to make people feel part of a community and they don't want to act out against it. And it also starts to increase a sense of safety for the person who's been harmed because they start to understand who the person is and care about them. And I think that is so powerful. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. I think we see that in our daily life in general. And it's so... uh, resonates with the core values, I think, of our nation, of our communities, the things that make it positive is that culture of caring for each other. And the same applies in a business setting or or any organization, I think, establishing that the fact that we're all here, we all have different lives and different roles that we're playing. But when we collide with each other, we're both humans and the more we can see each other that way, the more we can show kindness and respect and honor each other just for the fact that we're human, even though we may have done something terribly wrong, the more likely there will be a positive way forward after that incident. I love this. This is opening my eyes quite a bit. It's it's beautiful. So what does a typical day look like working in your small business? Right now, I'm really starting the setup piece of the business. And I'm so excited about the concept <laughs> that I'm mm-hmm. that I tend to neglect some of the really important pieces. But when I'm handling a case, what I like to do once I've been hired is just talk to the parties separately and get a sense of what they're looking for in terms of an outcome. What's their ideal outcome when they think about it? And exploring with them, what is the harm in your own words? And what would you like to see happen to start to repair the harm? And one way that we kind of get at that, because sometimes that's hard to begin to talk about, is we talk through some of the feelings that arose when the thing that caused harm happened. 
And then we talk through some of the unmet needs that have resulted and kind of try to narrow it down to a few set of needs and then look at what pathways might be available. And it could be something called shuttle negotiation, where we set up a space where I talk to one person and then move over to another space and talk to the other, and we can talk through what has happened in a structured way. Or it could be, hey, I want to meet with this person. We might choose a script to follow so that we don't veer too far off and so people know what to expect in the meeting space. Or it could be a restorative circle, especially if there's a community that might have been impacted where we bring everyone together in one space and everyone gets an opportunity to speak from beginning to end. Those are just a few examples. And then turning to the person who may have caused harm and say, first of all, from your perspective, what are some important things you'd like known? And then secondly, what do you think the harm has been? And do you think you have an obligation to repair the harm? And if I have the impression, especially because I'm working with situations like intimate partner violence, stalking and sexual violence, if I have the impression they are not ready, then we don't move forward. It's either a hard stop or it's a I think there's something here, but there's something in your way of processing this. Let's get at that first. They may need to hear empathy around a prior hurt or the current one. And what that looks like is something similar. Like, hey, what were some of the feelings that came up for you, either when this thing happened or this thing over here happened that's influencing some of your decisions? And what do you think some of your unmet needs are? And what I find remarkable is that there are usually similar needs between the parties. That's always kind of blowing me away. So you're like a lawyer therapist. (laughs) You know, um, what I call myself is a recovering attorney who is becoming more and more human every day. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually going to ask you about that. You've gone through so many changes, attorney, title night, all this kind of stuff. And then to the latest one, to becoming a small business owner, how have those changes and primarily the change to go to a business owner, how has that impacted your life? It's interesting. My friend and colleague, Karen, had asked me to write a piece about kind of that transition. And I was struggling with it. I was really struggling with it, you know, like hand on head. And my nine-year-old daughter came up to me. She's like, mom, what are you doing? I'm like, I really don't know, to be honest with you. (laughs) I told her, I'm like, here's my project. And she said, well, you seem so much happier. And this is my words now, but that's what she was trying to say to me is that like, look, you're doing the thing that you were kind of gifted to do. And my own inner journey of kind of getting vulnerable to all the things that have scared me, made me feel ridiculous and not worthy and confronting them and giving those empathy and having a richer relationship with myself has led to this understanding that taking hold of the things, our own inner wisdom opens the door on so much more. And it's scary. It's terrifying, to be honest with you. And at the same time, doing the work through kind of a compliance lens, which is what I had been doing, led me to feel like it was a transaction and not a connection. And it made me feel really dead inside, to be honest. And so while it's scary and terrifying, it feels like I get to be more and more present in my life. And not only to myself, but to others around me. That's what was necessary for me, not only to take the leap, but also to do the work 
because I think you have to be able to hold space, emotional space for someone else and not be tending to your own (laughs) challenges when you're really listening to them well. And so that has been really rewarding in that regard. And my relationships have added new depth and I get to be present to my own life in this process of watching other people become present to their own. That's honestly where the name came from. It's a process of restoration. It's not a process of, I'm changing everything about myself. It's actually a process of embracing all of who you already are. It's restoring. You pointed out kind of a secret truth that if we all knew, we'd all be better off. But in order for you to walk in there and help people the way that you're doing, you don't have to be all perfectly put together and have your life all perfectly lined out and perfectly restored and whole. You can be someone who's working on that and still show up for somebody else in a way that allows them to make progress on that process. And I think that says a lot about us as humans. We don't have to be perfect to help somebody else move forward. That's an amazing truth to me that we each have so much to offer, even though we're struggling with our own life. The most beautiful businesses that we interact with and interview owners of, it seems to be are the ones who it's almost like they found what they were born to do, that there was this thing inside of them, this universe inside of them that just the stars aligned and they found this passion and realized this aligns with me. Being able to provide this service in the community aligns with just who I am. And being able to you know, monetize that, not to become some billionaire, but just to provide for yourself and allow yourself to fulfill that mission in your community. There's just so much beauty around that, I think. And that seems like what you've found here. Absolutely. And I think another thing that happens in these conversations is that as people start to unearth who they are, right? Not who someone told them to be, not what is expected of them in their various roles, but who they really are. They're able to live into their strengths a little bit more. And there have been so many, even in in my role as a director of student conduct, one of my favorite parts was being able to say to a student, and you can imagine, these students are poised to do so many amazing, amazing things. And they're carrying this heavy weight of shame and expectations and, oh man, I just screwed this thing up over here. What are my parents? All that. To be able to say to them, look at who you are. You are outstanding. And the thing that you have to offer the world is what the world needs. And that to me always got me. I'm getting teary. I'm just like talking about it right now. I can think of you know, so many students and in particular, that I was just like, oh. And, you know, I have had some really hard conversations with students to stand out. They both were on the phone about to kill themselves. And I just, the words that came to me were, you matter. Not only do you matter, but you matter to me as someone in your community. And you have so many things to do. And you are needed. 
Yeah, our society in general does not communicate that well enough to us as individuals. And I think that's the importance of family and the importance of strong families is that that can be communicated in a family unlike anywhere else. It's not going to be communicated well enough outside of a home. Well, what I would say to that is whether it's your family of origin or your chosen family, you can find connection and community when you allow yourself to be known. And it's not easy for all of us to allow ourselves to be known. And I want to acknowledge that too, but it's worth trying and it's worth finding those points of connection. Absolutely. Well, this is a business podcast, I think. (laughs) This is way more fun than talking about well, we are talking about business. It right? applies, but, yeah. Yeah. It's very good. So thank you for sharing everything that you have. Sounds way more fun than accounting like we do here <laughs> at Azuma. So do you have any advice that you would like to share with other new small business owners? I think the thing that has been most rewarding to me is to get vulnerable, to allow your whole self to show up and to see what happens when you follow these kind of small sparks of joy. I really do believe they take you to unexpected places. And I think it's in those small weird moments where you're like, I really want to do this weird thing over here. I'm going to do that. Like, I really want to take an improv class or I really want to try law school. (laughs) Try it. Because I think it'll surprise you. And I think no matter what the outcome is, you're going to learn a lot more about yourself or someone else and you don't know what could happen. I think that's what I'm learning. Yeah, I guess you don't have to look at the subject matter and say, I'm never going to use this math in my life, but you're going to learn something about yourself in the process, right? That you are going to take with you no matter what the subject matter is. So Kendra, this has been awesome. We have really enjoyed visiting with you today and I hope that everyone really takes to heart what you've shared with us today. As we wrap up, though, we always want to ask one final question, and that is, what keeps you going as a small business owner? I think when I see people be brave enough to be vulnerable and hopeful, to risk reaching outside their comfort zone, to admit, like maybe when they've hurt somebody, or to say, like, this hurts and I need help. When I see that and people really getting a chance to heal harm and to grow that gets me going that process of transformation and reconnection to self and others that gets me going and keeps me going because it's so powerful to me wow that's great well and we could feel that throughout this podcast so thank you so much for coming on and sharing it with us it's really been awesome we hope you keep up the good work thank you so much Thank you listeners for joining us today. If you or someone you know would like to share your small business story, please go to mazumausa.com slash keep going and fill out the form at the bottom of the page. And if you are looking for tax advice for your small business, be sure to join our Keep Going Facebook group and check out our website at mazumausa.com.